You're listening to K&J Recaps. Hey guys, you are back uh, with uh, Kim and Jess uh, for K&J Recaps. And we are here uh, discussing Stranger Things Episode 5, The Flea and the Acrobat. Yes. Um, so this was a great episode. I I really feel like we are coming to, you know, like the answers portion of of the show. Agreed. My theories are now more fully fleshed because of what I've seen in this episode for sure. Definitely. Um, so I I can't believe like so there's only three episodes after this one, but I heard that there is gonna be um a season two. Yes. Which uh which I'm really looking forward to. Some good like some good summer um summer shows to look forward to next summer absolutely and uh i think i've been relatively unspoiled i mean i certainly have theories in my mind they're informed by what i've seen or like heard from people it's not even so much that people are telling me anything it's more my reaction to things um and like just one of them which is not like a spoiler at all is is more just that people can't remember what episode they're on oh yeah which makes me which makes me feel like there's no big reveal. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's like everything is just kind of like really slow burning in the sense that there's never this like epic, I don't know, thing that happens. Right. So I'm like, really? Like, you're not worried about spoiling me because you know episode seven has like all of the answers ever. <laughs> it's so true. So. And that is like, I mean, really has prevented me from talking about this show with anyone because I don't trust them. <laughs> I, I don't trust that they will be able to accurately remember from, you know, what episode the stuff they're talking about has come from. And so being only at episode five, I don't trust that they'll inadvertently give something away. So I'm like, nope, can't talk about it Absolutely. until the season's over. And it's kind of a, it's a function I find both of the fact that it's a Netflix series and so people are watching it yeah. in a row. And also the show has no time jumps in it. Right. right? So we're just like, it is extremely flowy and chronological and in order. And so I think, you know, it's kind of, it creates that as well. It's certainly not just because people aren't realizing it, but. Um, yeah, but yeah, like this is like a legit show that was made to be binge watched. It's only an eight episode season. Every single episode, um, you know, starts where the last one ended. Like, I mean, you could sit down, at least I could, I could sit down on a Sunday Agreed. afternoon and just burn through this whole thing, no problem. Yeah, on a rainy day or something. And definitely, I mean, the end of this episode is just crazy. So. <sighs> Each of them end with, like, really great cliffhangers. So I know. Okay, let's get into it. Sure. So on that note, we open up in the Hawkins lab, which is where we saw Hopper breaking into at the end of the last episode. And this is just a continuation of that. We see him get in, um, where all of the scientists are working. There's white coats everywhere, leaving, walking in hallways, etc. He follows his way through the hallways until he gets to a place that has a big hazardous warning sign on it. And um, I, I love the, like, little look that he gives right here where he's just like, oh, fuck it, you know, yeah. <laughs> because this is, like, this is the area where we have seen scientists go in in hazmat suits in the past. That's right. I mean, exactly. like, Scooby-Doo type hazmat suits for sure, but hazmat yeah, suits. but still definitely. Yeah, exactly. And he's just suits. like, whatever. Yeah. But he kind of, you're right. There's kind of like a little, like, yeah, eh. let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Um. So he is trying to get in, but it needs a keycard access and while he's thinking about that two kind of security people approach him they've got guns 
they said, you know, you should have known about the cameras. Um, and he is talking himself super smoothly out of that situation, saying, you know, he's been expected by Dr. Brenner, blah, blah, blah. And while he's distracting him, he knocks, punches the one guy in the face, steals his gun. The other guy with the gun just didn't even know it was coming. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, so, like, this is, this is really Hopper all in. Absolutely. And, you know, he is, he, there's no doubt you know, that he is breaking the law at this point. I mean, you know, cop though he may be, he is, you know, pulling guns on people. He's breaking into private property. We saw in last episode that he's pummeling this guy in a back alley. Like he ultimately, I think is, he's going to get to the bottom of this, you know, mystery at all costs. That's right. Um, And it's like that same thing where it's like, where I was frustrated last episode, I was like, go talk to Joyce, because she knew that her son, it wasn't really her son, and like, figure this out. And instead, he just jumps into this lab without telling anyone where he's going, you know. Um, But instead, he um, lets himself into the wing, which is immediately that area which we're quite familiar with at this point um and shoots out the lock to try and prevent them from following him. yes and this is like okay like this was also a, a like a quick moment for me where i was like hopper what if you have to get out quickly <laughs> <laughs> this is not the <laughs> no this is a terrible plan over um okay so we we cut to joyce uh who is sitting on the couch with Lonnie. He's poured her drink. So Lonnie, of course, showed up at the end of last episode. Um, Monnie, Lonnie is um, here for apparently super mundane reasons, despite my like real tinfoil hat theories about the reason why Lonnie came back to town. Um, it really kind of like, it's it's interesting to me that I like am forgetting in the show that for everyone except for the kids and Joyce, and now Jonathan and Nancy, but for everybody else, Will is dead. And so it really kind of hadn't occurred to me like, of course Lonnie's in town because Will's funeral's tomorrow. Agree. Yeah, I went through the same um, thought process. I was like, I thought the exact same thing. I was like, oh, we're idiots. He's the father. But then where I think we were on the right track is definitely that he is not there for just a fatherly, sympathetic reason. Like everything we've done to meet his character demonstrates this is not a guy who cares about his kid and especially not about Will, whom he seems to like really not have a close connection with, although both kids that's pointed yeah. out in this episode. Um, and so even though it wasn't that he's like involved necessarily with all of the Hawkins, whatever is going on there, I think it's definitely, and just the way he acts in this where he's, I mean, the first thing he tries to do is get her drunk to um, help her think straight, yeah. which I was like, no, not, no, not <laughs> yeah, usually the way that works. <laughs> hard alcohol works, but you could just like, I feel like you see exactly what their relationship yeah. was, which is, um him being very domineering and she just kind of like and i think it's been you know i kind of understood it like for joyce that she's been fighting so hard for so many days you can see her that kind of struggle in her i find to be like you know what it would be easier to just get drunk Mm -hmm. and my ex-husband is here someone i you know have at least in the past been in love with i'm just gonna like you know forget about it for a while yeah and and um you like in the last podcast, I really talked about how I thought that Lonnie was going to be gaining her trust by being the one person who would believe her. And it's actually like the exact opposite that happens. I feel like he is the one person who is making her truly question her sanity somewhat. Yeah. And by yeah. the end... No, he's effective at it. You're right. Because a lot of people, yeah. other people are saying it, but because it's coming from him and he has even more references 
Yeah, you know, he, he references her aunt. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, and she says, this is nothing like that. I mean, she still puts up a fight. Yeah. And certainly by the end of the episode, like, you know, we have the old Joyce back. But um, throughout the episode, I really get the sense that Joyce is second guessing herself at, because of the convincing job that Lonnie's doing yeah. of, um, of making a case that it's all in her head. Absolutely. So, so he's pouring her a drink. She's obviously really distraught. Um, she's like reeling after this close encounter that she had with Will in the last episode where she saw him through this, um, through the portal or what have you that was outside, um, the wall of her house. Yeah. And so, you know, she is saying that all this time she could feel him. She knew that he was alive and now she can't feel him anymore. Um, and then, then, you know, as we said, like Lonnie really tries to convince her that this is all in her head to help her cope. Yeah. But it's a scary moment for us as viewers, too, because we know that it's true. And if she's not feeling Will anymore, like, this is an episode that doesn't really feature we get nothing from Will in this episode. Um, And so it is kind of nerve-wracking as to, like, really the last scene he was in ended scarily for him, told to run and hide. And then just that feeling she's getting that he's not there is, um, yeah, worrisome. For, like, a different reason. Like, everyone else thinks she's crazy, but I'm just more like, uh-oh. Yeah. Like, if Joyce thinks he might be dead, yeah. then maybe he's dead, you yeah. know? I, I hope that he isn't. I, I don't I think agree. that he I is. I don't think but... he is either, yeah. I mean, if he is, that's a really random way to... Yeah, to share him out. Yeah, like, um, but it definitely, it certainly, I find it peaks. It's a cool, because when she says it, it says one thing to Lonnie, it says something else to us as the viewer because we're like, oh, you know, um, and not because we're like, Joyce, you're crazy, but because we're like, oh my God, what if, what is going on with Will? Yeah, it, totally. Um, so then we're ba- we're back with Hopper. He's still in the restricted area of the lab um, and he is um, calling for Will. He's got a flashlight. He's going room by room calling for Will. And he comes across a child's bedroom that the viewer knows is Eleven's. Um, because it has a drawing on the wall that, you know, like it's a, you know, smaller person with a taller person drawn in crayon. And one is a la- labeled Eleven and one is labeled Papa. Yeah. But, but Hopper doesn't know Eleven. You know, as far as he's concerned, that could be where they're keeping Will, you know. So he is continuing to look throughout the area for Will. And then he comes to the room with the portal. So he, yes. he approaches the portal, he starts to put his hand in, and, um, you know, like, what was your impression of, like, the reaction that the portal had to his hand? Was there anything, or was this all just atmosphere that I was kind of taking in, in terms of sound effects and stuff? Well, I found the effect of his hand on the portal looked really weird. Yeah. Like, it looked really... Again, I, this gets back to, like, this thing I just keep noticing about, like the intentional quality of the effects in some cases like like i just i i do feel like that's probably on purpose um but it just it looked really like old school you know how they used to do green screening you know with like the video screen behind or whatever right Um, (laughs) so i was kind of like focused on that part of it because i couldn't i was like what is he touching because it looks like he's on a solid surface but the it underneath it doesn't look solid right so i was like are you like grabbing this stuff or is it just like sitting on top of whatever this is? So that was kind of like my focus when I um, was watching it, but I still cannot get a full grasp for myself of what exactly that 
thing is. Right. Like, I mean, I know that I just said kind of like jokingly in the last podcast that like the portal itself seems to have a mind of its own. But yeah. like, I mean, may- maybe, maybe not in not like a sentient being like I was joking, but at the very least, I mean, it seems to be a living organism. I mean, the fact that it can open and close of its own volition, you know, it seems right. To. So it was not open for him, right? Like he could not have gone. I feel like it. he could have. I feel like okay, okay. So I thought that he was like, like I don't think that it like chooses who it's going to open for and who it's not. But I do think that it's like you know, as you're, uh, I don't know, as you approach it, it like senses your approach, and you know, I felt like if he had continued to yeah. push forward, that that like it would have separated for him. I don't know. No, he doesn't. So before he gets a chance to go any further, he is taken down by um, bad scientists in hazmat suits and um, shot in the neck. Did you think it was the monster for a second? Yeah. So like when, yeah. Okay, yeah. So um, when he was like approaching the portal and had his back to it, there was like that quick flash of someone who like, you know, runs runs across the screen. And so you as the viewer, you don't have a view of who that person is. And I definitely thought it was the creature. Yeah. And then the other thing I like, I just, I found this scene really interesting because it's the first um, shots I found you really get of like the Hawkins lab outside of this wing of it. Um, And it's just like everything's business as usual in the rest of the lab. Like no one else seems to realize that this hazardous thing is happening there. You know, like, all of the lights are on. Like, there's a huge difference, like, lights and no lights. Like, as soon as you're in this hazardous area, all of the lights are off. And then he takes the elevator down to the lower level. And that's when all the particulate is in the air again. Like, it's just a funny... Like, I feel feel like they have definitely contained it to this one room. And then maybe not everybody at the lab fully knows yeah. what's happening down Well, and maybe if they're, like, if there's an experimental wing, then they're able to be like, hey, we spilled some, you know like i don't know if they're doing any kind of like nuclear energy research or anything like that you know they could be like oh we've had a spill and we'll need to clean it up and it's not that big of a deal but yeah i definitely get yeah, the sense nothing that to see exactly here, the rest of the lab is not on lockdown um they're just kind of happily walking around it's kind of i wonder strange. if like upstairs they do legitimate like energy stuff right you know? which would explain like it's not an entire thing of like you know a very highly experimental stuff it's more like 75% of it is doing legit yes. energy research and 25% is like the, re- you know, experimental research budget and it's all led by Dr. Breder and he's just doing this crazy like spy stuff or something. But anyway. Uh, okay, so the boys are in Mike's basement while this is all happening and they are talking about what's happened in their interaction with Will. So obviously they've just gone through that piece um, in the school with the radio where Elle was helping them like channel Will, and this is where they come across and verify Kim theory, number 8,654. Just like such, you totally hit this. They have their like Dungeons and Dragons board. Yeah. And they basically get to this place. So (laughs) Elle says, um, all she says is upside down. And that leads Mike to recognize that like if you flip over the board, you're looking at, you know, the top of the board is the world as you know it. And if you flip, you flip it over, then it's the um, the dark or the upside down or whatever. But it's the same concept of the world. And so they get into this discussion right. that it's like the veil of shadows, um, which is a dark dimension um, and an echo of our world, but with death and decay and monsters. 
Um, and yeah, they just have like a great, you know, grasp of this because it's so much in like the pop culture that they love. Right? Yeah, like uh, seriously, I mean, yeah, certainly it is convenient for us, the viewer, um, that the boys happen to have this, you know, reference for what they're talking about that can be sort of summed up and explained to us and whatever. But that is yeah. pretty convenient. Like, um, I loved it. I loved it when they, you know, were reading from the D&D manual. And so they were reading about yeah. what the Veil of Shadows is. And it like the the they wrap up the definition like in the book with it's right next to you and you don't even see it. Oh. That's right. And exactly. And then and a lot of their description of it, too, is actually overlaid on top of the scenes of Hopper looking in the lower level of the lab. So it's like it's a great, you know, they're talking about it in the hypotheticals and Hopper is like basically almost in that other dimension at the time. He's right by the portal to it. Um, yes. So they do that well throughout this series. Like, I mean, when they do, it's not, it's not truly a montage per se, but a mashup, if yeah. you will, of like, you know, a couple of scenes happening at the same time. It's e- and it's either happening to music or it's happening to, you know, like the voice of someone speaking in one scene that carries over yeah. to another one that's kind of intertwined with it. And they do that in a really sort of like impactful way where it sets this, the tone of the of you know like there's one scene that's we're viewing in um relation to the other and it just sets the tone so well for that scene it's just they they do it really well. agreed and i really noticed in this one i didn't i saw who the directors were but they i don't didn't check if that's any different but there was a really cool transition shot so my one of my favorite in the montage here was that when hopper after he's looked around like the upper level of that you know, um, hazardous area, he, there's, you can hear the alarm going off, he can hear people shouting, and he gets into the elevator, and the elevator has the doors that close in the two different directions. Yes. And they just, like, close around his face, um, and we know what he's heading into, which is, like, not good, right? It's just such a cool, like, shot of his face. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so that is all kind of happening over top, and then the scene right before the credits is just as Hopper's stabbed in the neck with by these guys in hazmat suits um and we head into the opening credits so we're a really like busy busy and long pre-credit opener cold open definitely um so after the credits um uh jonathan comes home to find lonnie there and he's not happy about it at all and of course in the previous um episode jonathan at the end of the episode has just come to the realization that Joyce was right all along. He saw the picture with Nancy. He now believes her about this creature slash, you know, the man without a face or whatever. And like, so what I'm picturing is that Jonathan is coming home excited to speak to his mom about this thing that he now knows to be true and that maybe Will is alive and whatever. And instead he finds Lonnie there. And when Jonathan tries to speak to Joyce, he's like, I need to talk to you about you know, about what you saw, Lonnie shuts him down and, uh, you know, like, won't won't let him talk to Joyce about it. Um, Absolutely. So Jonathan asks to speak with Lonnie alone and tells him, like, he's he's got to leave. But um, Lonnie is convinced that Joyce is very sick. He says he's there to help. He accuses Jonathan of feeding into Joyce's hallucinations. Um, 
and then just says, you know, Jonathan, behave at the funeral tomorrow. And then before he he leaves the room, what a dick move that, you know, like after this conversation, he leaves the room by saying, take down that poster. It's an Evil Dead poster on Jonathan's wall. It's inappropriate. Yeah. And I'm just like, who the fuck are you, Lonnie, to come? Well, and I think that's exactly Jonathan's yeah. point, right? And that's, you know, what we're going to see, too, is just... um Jonathan's gone to him already to like reach out to him to see if if Will was there for some strange reason but also to be like give him the opportunity to say hey your son is missing and it's only now that there's apparently a verified body at the you know coroner's office so I yeah totally agree that it's it is super transparent to Jonathan obviously I think he's been through this a lot and it's probably disappointing to come home and see them sharing like a a huge bottle of liquor too you know and seeing like his mom kind of like out of it too um because i'm sure it was part of like this unhealthy relationship that just seems to be between the lonnie and joyce but um yeah just like lonnie showing his true colors really oh for sure yeah that does give you a window into you know the the kind of you know dad he was yeah um so then we kind of move into i think really just kind of like a funeral pre-montage we see a bunch of people getting um ready for it so mike's family is getting ready there's a scene between karen and nancy um jonathan can't tie his own tie he doesn't know how uh and there's no youtube to look up uh, as to how you can tie your own tie that's right and this was like so so i feel like like you have done a great job of pointing this out in previous podcasts jess but i think the show is definitely you know taking a minute to point out some of the differences in the family life that you know, Joyce, Jonathan, and Will are living versus um, Mike's family. And this was like a real co- yeah. like comment on that, I feel, where it, this montage starts off with Mike's father helping him tie his tie. And yes. then included in the montage is Jonathan alone trying to tie his tie and, yeah. and he can't. Can't do it. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Um, and we see, okay, do we know the dog that, that goes and sits in Will's Heidi? place i thought it was like joyce's dog is that because i thought we yeah we'd seen it before but then we just haven't seen the dog since right like yeah yeah. like i I can't remember i can't remember a hundred percent but i didn't really think anything of the dog i really thought that that was just joyce's dog the one that was barking when will came into the house when he was like running from the creature in the first episode right 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 yes exactly um joyce doesn't want to go to the funeral and then we're at the funeral and the boys are there and of course they are now like very sure that uh that will is alive but i did really like that was it dustin who said like wait till you know will hears that jennifer hayes was crying at his funeral which is like pretty funny and then um just like as people are leaving because joyce is like super disconnected everybody's like consoling lonnie like Karen yeah. comes over and they're like shaking his hand and stuff. And I was just like, ugh, like, of course he's the I know. one there. And that, like, you know, not, not that Joyce is, you know, really giving off approachable vibes. Um, but yeah, like Lonnie is not the one that you should be consoling here. Yeah. Like, where has he been? And everyone's just, again, getting back to that thing of about appearances, but it's like, you know, they're both there together. So instead of, you know, standing up for Joyce and, like, working harder to, like, talk to her. They're just going to, like, leave their, um, you know, condolences with Lonnie and do, you know, the thing that looks like it's the right thing to do, even though, obviously, 
Joyce is in a terrible place. I I just, nobody fights through to even, like, make a difference to her. And in that, we get a flashback um, while Joyce is kind of off in Neverland. And she's remembering back to Will drawing at the table. And he's drawing a character of a wizard. And obviously, Wise Will, or Will the Wise, um, was a character that I'm sure he drew a lot. And it's, a, like, a wizard impersonation of him um, shooting fireballs. And she says, you know, why isn't mm-hmm. wisdom always what beats the bad guys? And he says, sometimes the bad guys are smart, too. But just another, For like, sure. scene of obviously how much Joyce loved her son. Um, you know, how different and unique Will really was slash is. Um, just, like, a really, you know, endearing scene between them. I definitely read more into this, too, though. Like, I don't know, I do not have a fully fleshed theory, but I definitely feel like, you know, the fact that they're making a statement that bad guys can be smart too. I I do, I really think that that is a foreshadow of some kind that they are going to, you know, they're, they're going to have to, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like battle, battle, you know, a foe in agree for sure and i just i think when you're talking about like character or bad guys who are really smart i think immediately of dr brenner yes yes exactly um so i mean i don't know what it's going to to look like but i was thinking that dr brenner um would probably be the you know the big bad that they have to i mean obviously the creature is you know is the immediate threat but i think that dr brenner is going to be the more you know like um the 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 bigger challenge yeah because I, I really feel like the creature is operating on a like basic survival yeah. mode instinct thing you know like it is not overly evolved it doesn't have eyes as far as we can seem to tell you know like it's it's really just kind of a vicious killing machine thing but it's not yeah not smart. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I I was thinking the same, but I definitely think that, like, this, you know, I really don't think, like, they put a lot of stuff in for nothing. I have, re- I have yeah. um, you know, you know, some of the connections we've picked up on already, but there's even been more than that, where it's, like, every little thing that they introduce, I really think that they call back at a later date. And I think that, that this little scene is no different. No, good call. We shall see what happens with Will the Wise. Yes. Um, so Hopper wakes up the next morning on his couch. So there's beer cans and there's pills strewn about all over his table. So we know, of course, that Hopper has been, you know, drugged and placed on his couch. Um, you know, I don't know if their intention was to kind of like trick Hopper into thinking it was all a dream. But yeah, I was wondering uh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> like That obviously did not work. He got up with gun drawn and uh, he checked his neck in the mirror. I assume that he saw, you know, the puncture mark. But either way, he knows he knows what went down. So he starts ripping his house apart. Um, and eventually finds what he was looking for, which is a listening device. It was like a bug, um, presumably planted there by the lab, um, that he finds in his lamp. Yeah. So then that, that, um, cuts to like, sort of like a, a nice segue here to the labs, like eavesdropping room where they're like listening in on the phone calls and whatever. We saw that in previous episodes. And although they are not listening to Hopper, there's a nice segue where he finds the listening device. And then we kind of cut to this room and Dr. Brenner is listening to the boys who are listening to Will over the radio when Eleven was, you know, like channeling the, um, 
um, the big transistor radio. And then he says she was there. But here's my question. There's like, there was no phone call, right? I mean, does the transistor radio count? So I... Okay, so why do you think it was the transistor radio and not Joyce's house? Um, well, I assumed it was because um, we could hear the boys speaking. So Joyce Joyce could hear Will. Um, but, like, how would Joyce hear Mike and Lucas all saying anything? Right. Okay. No, good point. So unless they already had the school... But- well, and maybe they did because the people who come look at the broken radio later, um, they're suspicious, right? Yeah. So when they come to look at the radio later, like we we know as viewers that they are not actually repairmen. It's the same like it's the same ruse that they used when they went to check out Joyce's house um, in a previous episode, where a guy, you know, like he he dresses up as a repairman and knocks yeah. on the door and nobody's home. And then they end up like searching the shed and whatever like this. Um, I mean, I can't remember if it's the same actor or anything, but like, there's no doubt in my mind that this was the same, you know, man in disguise. Well, and then they call out the teacher's name. Although, I mean, I can't believe that that teacher is involved because he just seems so. Yeah. Like, I definitely don't involved. think he's involved. Yeah. No, but they 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 a hundred percent made note of his name, and I took that so yeah. like the principal called him Mister Clark, and yeah. uh, you know the the repairman was like Clark, eh, or whatever. Like he really like made note of his name, and yeah. I, I I you know like I was then I was afraid for Mister Clark after that because I was like, oh no, like are they going to you know question him to get the names of the students in the AV club, right? Um, or, you know, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I don't know how they would, I guess, have gotten the recording. Um, I was thinking it was just, you were just hearing Will. But if you're hearing the boys, then it's not just at Joyce's house. Because I agree, Joyce did not hear the boys talking to Will. Or I think she would have gone after that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm second guessing myself now. But I watched the episode twice. And I, yeah. like, I... I remember coming away both times thinking, how did they get that recording? But maybe it was Will the whole time and I was just, um, you know, like, I I was just mishearing. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if any listeners out there have the answer to that question. That's right. You let us, let us know. know. Well, yeah, I'm going to go back and look at that one too. Because I do feel like Hopper did not fully inspect Joyce, Joyce's house enough for a bug when he eventually does come and do that. So... Yeah, that that's fair. Like it doesn't just because he found his place in a lamp, which yeah. by the way, I mean, like he ripped that house apart and then checked like one of the most obvious places, <laughs> the very last, <laughs> um, and then came into Joyce's house and then checked every light bulb and then was like, that should do, uh, you know, because if it's in a light in one house, it's it, always going to be in a light. I know, I, I agree. That seems like oh, flawed. Wow. Yeah. Um, Flawed detective work. Flawed logic, exactly. Um, Okay, so we move on from that scene, and then we're at the after the funeral. Everybody's in having like the after funeral lunch, and um, Jonathan and Nancy are looking at where the creature has been sighted. So they are pointing out what we have already kind of talked about, which is that everything is happening in this kind of very small 
geographic area, um, which they say is basically a mile like around, right? Um, and so they're kind of trying to figure out where it might be, and they want to go look for it, find it, and kill it. And so Jonathan takes steals uh, a gun from what I'm sure is Lonnie's car um, in his glove box. He knows exactly where it is. And uh, Nancy is not crazy about that idea, but Jonathan's like, what are we going to do? Take a picture of it again? Uh, which is a very excellent point, Jonathan. You must be prepared to uh, go and definitely bring protection for this thing. And um, they, they mention the fact that no one will believe them, uh, which I think gets back to they have that additional like adult skepticism about them rather than the kids who are just like, this could be fully explained through Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, we're going to go find it and yeah, try and take this into our own hands. Uh, yeah. But I mean, like, so Nancy does make the point that like Joyce would believe them. And this was yeah. like, I was disappointed in this moment because Jonathan has essentially taken Lonnie's warnings to heart and he is not going to tell Joyce. He says she's been through yeah. enough and, you know, he doesn't want to burden her with this. When really, I mean, like, that's what Joyce needs. She needs to know. And I mean, yeah. like, I, I, we get it later in the episode with Hopper. Yeah. But I mean, I just am disappointed that Jonathan wouldn't recognize that he's not doing Joyce any favors by keeping this to himself. I know, but it very, I mean, I can totally see... You know where it's coming from. But again, I think it's like a foolish decision, obviously. Everybody needs to get get together and solve this together. Like two people in a forest is a terrible idea at night to try and deal with this, you know? Um, so we already talked about the repairman who, repairman, uh, in air quotes, who comes to look at the radio at the school. So yeah, pretty convinced that that is actually a, uh, a lab. Agreed. A lab yeah. guy. Um, so then we're at the funeral reception and the boys are asking Mr. Clark questions about the Veil of Shadows and how someone could theoretically get there. So um, Mr. Clark tells them this this story about the flea and the acrobat. So, okay, like jump in if I'm missing anything on this, Jess. So he takes a paper plate and he draws a line on it, which essentially is a tightrope. And an acrobat is standing on the tightrope and that represents like our dimension, And it has rules. You can move forward and you can move backward, right? Yep. Okay. So then uh, there's a flea on the um, tightrope as well. But the flea, in addition to being able to move forward and move backward, can also move sideways and can move upside down. Like a flea would be able to crawl all like a full 360 degrees around the tightrope. Mm -hmm. So in this scenario... The, the boys are the acrobat. Yes. They cannot go to the upside down. Um, but in order to create a gate or a portal to the upside down, they would need to create an enormous amount of energy, more energy, Mr. Clark says, than humans are capable of currently. And um, that would rip like a, you know, a terror in time and space. So he folds the plate in half and punches a hole through it. And that's the gate. Yeah. So that's the same analogy actually used in Interstellar to explain how they use the black hole to move themselves into the 
the other world to find the other livable planets. Do you remember that? Um, vaguely. Yeah. So, like, I, I was like, this is an analogy specifically I've seen. And I've certainly seen, like, there is actual science behind this in terms of the concept of, you know, interrupting the time continuum for sure. Um, and his whole point is that this is all the science behind it, but um, it takes an enormous amount of energy to create yes. that. And we've never been possible, like, that doesn't exist on Earth, basically. Right. Okay, so, like, but like without going too far down the time travel, space and time rabbit hole, because I am not a good person. Like, I would not be able to hold up my end on that conversation. But, okay, so, like, last, last podcast, we were talking about, like, you know... Um, like I had said that I thought specifically that this was a parallel dimension. Yep. Um, that was just different than ours. And he, like Mr. Clark brought that up in a really kind of humorous way where he was like, don't, you know, like thinking the boys are grieving and are asking these questions through grief that he was like, yeah, you know, you're thinking of the many worlds theory where there are many versions of our same reality, but they're all a little different. And, you know, there is a place where these tragedies haven't happened. And the boys are like, no, we're not not our question whatsoever. (laughs) So like, I, like I, when I was talking about it last week, when, when we, we were talking about that I was really in that camp but this really seems to be like kind of the space and time rift that was I mean like how how would this be related and is it related in any way to our discussion about like maybe it's taking place in our same world but a different time well I think it like to me it's this mashup between there being like real science behind it. And then this theme that this is based heavily around this world of like 11 year old boys in the eighties and the things that meant a lot to them. And like when they say, no, no, we don't want to talk about the, you know, other worlds theory. They're like, what about the evil world idea? Mm -hmm. Um, And I really do feel like it's that it's, and that maybe doesn't make any sense from a, you know, any science backing it up, but that it's not so much that it's like, humans evolved in a different way or it's in the you know like it's this world and yet a different time and it's more that like there just happens to exist like evil worlds and maybe like a good world right. somewhere because a hundred percent like they have said they said multiple times in this episode that this is a different dimension right this isn't you know like yeah, so, I mean, honestly, I feel like I'm just incapable of wrapping my head around it. But, like, okay, I'm content to just, like, you know, it is a it is a different dimension, and this one is evil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think it doesn't have to be, like, because I, I don't know how much there is to wrap your head around it, because I do really feel like this is based conceptually on Dungeons & Dragons. Like, I, or, like, right. that idea, like, that sci-fi, and this is, like, the mix of both what is explainable or on the edge of explainable, like in something like Interstellar, and then like just pure fictional, you know, right and wrong, good and bad, you know, sci-fi, which it very much veers into too. That's my feeling on it, but I could totally be... No, I think you're probably 100% right, and that I'm just, I'm looking to try to, um, you know, explain it in a way that um, makes sense to me, but... Uh, I really I am, feel like, I'm good to just, like, go with right. the flow on this. 
Because yeah. I feel like it's a lesson in hubris is what we are going towards in the sense that Dr. Brenner pushed the absolute limits of what could be done to leverage this for political gain um, as like an espionage tool. And in doing so, he opened up the ability for this evil world to come into ours. And in which case he opened up so much worse things than the Cold War, which is what I think he's trying to work in, you know? and For sure. And so instead, now we've got this like other dimensional evil monster running around earth stealing people um for now in hawkins but probably not for long if it continues right uh all because we tried to push ourselves into that dimension to try and gain ourselves like so okay so i know that we're kind of like jumping ahead a little bit on this (laughs) and like okay so but but like i i have comments slash questions um Okay, so I know that we had talked in the past already about whether or not this portal was already existing or whatever, but right. it seems it seems clear to me that, like, yes, indirectly, Dr. Brenner was 100% responsible for this dimension essentially bridging into ours. But um, I, I, think, I think it's pretty clear in this episode that they came across it by accident and that... And, you know, like, so I agree. I, yeah, I am. One, sure. yeah. I'm thinking that 11, 11 opened up this portal. Right. But 11 is his science experiment. You know, like, he oh, for sure. This, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, what I so, mean by it. Like, I agree. I don't think he went looking for I don't think he, the monster is his tool. I think the monster is a complete accident and they don't know how to, like, put it back in the box once they've opened it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, 100%. I agree. And I knew that that's what you were saying that there he's not the direct one. But okay, like, sorry. yeah, so ju- I was just circling back on what what um, we had talked about in previous podcasts, where it was like, okay, like, so was this portal already there? Did they essentially build this facility around right. a portal that they knew already existed? And that, um, you know, we had had past discussions about how, you know, like 11 is somehow connected to this other world and whatever. So I was just sort of drawing connecting dots to say that, like, it appears to me at least that no, the portal was not already there when they built this facility. The facility was obviously intended for the research that they were doing with Eleven. And then through that research, they essentially stumbled across this um, alternate dimension that has been opened up through the experimentation that was done on Eleven and then her subsequent powers. Absolutely. No, totally. And it explains now why they're in an energy research lab, right? Because they do require, I'm sure, huge amounts of energy to be executing this like that answered that question for me too like he's Mm -hmm. drawing off of that area in order to execute his own research right to like keep the portal open yeah keep the portal open power her up however like she was raised um like they obviously whatever is like happening there but yeah like um yeah that it's it's requiring exactly what what you know, Mr. Clark is explaining, um, and the same as they're going to see the magnetic field piece, you know, I think it's related to the fact that they are using energy to do this. For sure. Okay. And then, um, sorry. Yeah. So like on that same note, so, um, Mr. Clark does just say that if a gate already existed, it would disrupt gravity and it would disrupt magnetic fields, um, which we're going to see, um, is pertinent later in the episode. Yes. Uh, okay, so we're back at Hopper's place, and those two cops that are our favorite people have shown up. Our very favorite. (laughs) Best cops in Hawkins. (laughs) Um, so now, uh, the tables have turned, and Hopper is starting to look like the one who is paranoid. So he answers the door with his gun drawn, um, 
and they're kind of like taken aback by that. They had tried calling. He's, you know, not answering. Um, so they came out to see him. So they tell him that there are hunters missing. Um, and as soon as they kind of name the area where the, he's been missing, Hopper says Mirkwood, which is um, what the boys had called the place where like the road that they named that goes to the lab area where they had last seen Will. Mm-hmm. Um, so he says it with obvious like implication um and he tells them that he'll look after it and he looks like crap like he's not in his uniform he looks yeah. Like paranoid yeah and he then, legit looks like a crazy person he does he's like hair standing up on end like just not a good look and uh so then they tell him that don't worry barb uh absolutely ran away because the stadies found barb's car at the bus station mm-hmm. which again like like and then they actually say like funny how the states like keep doing our job for us and it's like you idiots. Right. My and God. Hopper's like, yeah, funny. You like <laughs> <laughs> in a very poignant way. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean it's just so annoying that they could think that Barb ran away because it's like so counter to her like nothing at home indicates that. Anyway, just whatever. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so to no more about those hunters during this episode, right? It's just no. that's the only mention of them. Yeah. That's right. Um but we do see that deer later, so I guess there's probably maybe there's a relationship there. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I mean, I, well, when she said it got hit by a car, I wasn't sure how she could tell that. Um, right. And then Barb, obviously, not like especially when state's involved. And again, this getting back to the like absolutely shitty way with these Hawkins people cover things up, like uh barb not running away just putting hopper back on his couch and trying to hope that he'll think he had like a bender and dreamed the whole thing like they just have these hilarious like approaches to a stuffed body with like teddy bear stuffing like i thought he was going to be held captive i thought that they too you know they were like his life was in danger and instead it's like you won't remember anything <laughs> I mean, they, they can make someone telepathic. Don't they have like a memory erasing serum that they could use? Right, but this is what we talked about last time. We're like, really, your dead body replication is <laughs> like, like filled with stuffing and stuffing. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> In some like, ways, they're so low tech. I feel like uh, the budget for the cover-up right. department is low. It's it's all rubber bands and paper clips holding that department together. <laughs> it's, it's like one guy and he's like, It's like, Jesus Christ, I got to come up with a body. I got to make a guy remember. I mean, That's forget right. everything that he saw in this lab. Um, okay, so uh, when the when the cops, um, they back in the cruiser and one of the cops says, is he off his meds again? So like those pills we keep seeing yes. Hopper popping. Like, those are something. Um, and. Yes. And the convenient scapegoat of mental health, I think, right. is, like, recurring here. Like, it's just easy for everybody to say these people are crazy than to, like, give them any credence. And so yeah. I did find. So the other guy says, um, oh, I think he's just been spending too much time with Joyce, Joyce. Fire. Yeah. Um, but so I didn't. I mean, like, I, I definitely picked up a little bit on the fact that. Um, both Hopper and Joyce, who are the two adults now who know the truth about this whole conspiracy and the, about Will and whatever. Um, so both of them, it has been pointed out, have histories of some kind that, that um, you know, with mental illness, whether it's familial or whatever, um, that, you know, people are using to um, undermine their 
um, their like opinions on this, as you said, right? So like, they definitely pointed out with Joyce that, um, you know, like, she has an aunt who has um, had severe mental illness. And then when Hopper and Jonathan were sitting at the funeral, or sorry, the morgue, um, you know, Hopper yeah. asked if it had ever been like this before. And Jonathan had said, oh, she struggled with anxiety, but nothing like this or whatever. So and now we're we're seeing too that, um, you know, that Hopper is taking medication of some kind, and that the police officers are, you know, equating him not being on his meds with him acting sort of like erratic or yeah. whatever. So I mean, I, I just I wonder if this is going to come back in some way where, you know, they are going to figure out the conspiracy and try to blow it up. And instead, you know, this is going to come back and haunt them even more. Right. Yeah, I definitely, well, this is, I agree. I mean, it definitely sets them up to not be reliable in the sense that like people have this real stigma against associated with the fact that anybody who's again, especially in Hawkins, especially in this time in like setting time, in the 80s, I just feel like it's like if you are all outside the norm, which is referenced later too by Nancy, right? Like her parents just wanted the cul-de-sac house with the two-car garage and that's all they cared about. Like, Mm -hmm. so if you fall outside of that or if you've had to deal with tragedy that has like caused, you know, real upheaval in your life or any of those things, then people have this reason to write you off and they can do it and they continue to do it throughout this, you know, whole season even though they're the people who are the most accurate and know the most about what's going on and are the most tuned in and nobody will give them the like credence um i definitely think that's like it's definitely an overwhelming theme and whether absolutely i mean it's a good point it comes back that they aren't able to actually pin this on anybody because they've got too much baggage themselves or whether it's like just underlining everything that happens but i totally agree it plays a huge role in both what's happened and i think what is going to happen yeah um Okay, so Lonnie's boarding up the hole in the wall that um, that Joyce punched through in the last episode with an axe, uh, trying to get to Will, but instead just goes right through to the outside. So um, he's also taken down some of the Christmas lights. Dick. I know. She told him to leave those up. Like She needs those. Yeah. Uh, so he starts complaining about um, the, the, the family. I can't remember the name of the family that owns the quarry. Yeah. And um, what they've done to their family, and there was no signs, there was no gates around the quarry. Um, so uh, jumping ahead just just a little bit, we get a you know a quick scene um, in uh, in a couple of minutes where Joyce is going through Lonnie's bag and finds um, a, a flyer for like an accident lawyer. Yeah. So it's pretty clear that like. You know, Lonnie might not be back in town because he's working for the lab, like, you know, I originally thought, but he's definitely not back in town for super great reasons. It looks like he's looking for a payday. Absolutely. I mean, he and he is so good at it. You know, he even had her fooled for a whole day. He had the, you know, three piece suit on at the funeral. He shook everyone's hands. He looks like the grieving father, even though he's only been there for less than 24 hours. And the second he said that, the quarry, you know, I was like, oh, this is why you're here. You know, like you slimy. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, kudos to Joyce that as soon as I think that sentence sticks out. And then as soon as she finds that's why she goes looking through his stuff. Like she is just completely, you know, throws it all off like she sees right through it too so yeah absolutely uh 
so in between that, we get uh, Mike filling Ellen on the explanation that they've just had, because obviously she was not at the funeral. Um, and he's talking about that gate. And Elle gets really uncomfortable, I think, throughout this whole scene as this is being discussed. And so they're asking her um, if she knows where the gate is. She says no. Lucas especially is, like, really, um, you know... I don't know, like aggressive. Like he's very um, adamant that she knows more. How did she know? I feel the like down world? that's Lucas's mo. I yeah, mean, true. He has yeah. been really, really skeptical of Eleven and kind of aggressive um, when it comes to her. Like from the beginning, I think that he yeah. is the he's the skeptic of the group. You know, like um, you know, we talked about this a little bit already. Like Mike is the supreme optimist and. You know, Lucas is really kind of the polar polar opposite when it comes to Eleven. Like, he's been very um, cagey around her. Yeah, and it's funny, like, no matter what comes out in terms of proof, because at this point, he's actually seen her do a lot of stuff. He's still, like, it's never enough, and nor are they taking, like, he doesn't trust her enough to, like, recognize that she's, you know, trying to help. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Dustin is the one who realizes the compass. I mean, the whole thing about the magnetic fields, uh, <laughs> a very funny scene with Dustin, like needing all of their compasses and just being frustrated that none of them understand how a compass works. I know. It's like, Dustin, <laughs> who knew? Like, he's like, he's the compass, uh, yeah. the compass king. Also, I found it hilarious that it was like, it just went without saying that he was like, I need all of your compasses now. The fact That's that right, they, they must like all eight. be carrying compasses in that yeah. exact moment. I mean, like that was not, Absolutely. you know, never a question. And yet don't know how compasses work. Right. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, and so obviously they're not pointing to true north because it's not in the right direction. So the magnetic field would be messing with it and that would be the symptom of a portal being nearby. So they are going to try and follow the compass north to find right. the gate slash portal. Sounds like an excellent plan. And that's there's an end on is this is where it ends on Elle and her face is like super terrified. Like I just the whole she's obviously incredibly uncomfortable with the concept of what like what they're doing i think yeah absolutely as soon as the question of like the upside down came up like earlier in the episode like she has been really acting um you know not totally herself like she's obviously pretty pretty frightened agreed um so nancy is practicing her swing uh (laughs) with a bat she's uh she's about to get ready to go out into the woods and go monster hunting with jonathan when um, Steve shows up to apologize for being a dick. Um, so he did get in trouble with his parents, but now he doesn't care about having the party. Um, if you recall that uh, um, he was he was like more concerned about be- getting in trouble for the party that he had than he was about um, Bart being missing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what he's coming to apologize for now. Um, I hate to admit it, and like, don't get me wrong, it hasn't changed my opinion of Steve, but he like, I feel like he does a good job of turning on the charm when he needs to. I agree, and he, I was impressed at his apology, but until he's like, let's go to a movie and pretend everything's normal, and I, it's not that I don't understand the sentiment, but I was just like, dude, like, we're still... Like, that maybe is in for the next week or two after Barb, you know? But, like, we're still 48 hours of, or maybe even less than that, of, like, Barb having been missing. Yeah. Um, And, you know, obviously she's, like, super upset. I just, I think it's, like, 
that is where he kind of lost me again on his for sure you know charm piece but i agree i mean it was i was impressed as to like how well he did considering after like the last few scenes with him in them i was like meh <laughs> yeah a hundred percent um and so he asks her to the movie and she says no she offers just like a lame excuse but we of course know that she has plans with jonathan to go out to the woods and um monster hunting yeah monster hunting um so she seems to forgive him she gives him a little peck before he leaves um so uh, unfortunately it doesn't look like we're done with steve quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> steve continues uh, uh. believing her lame excuse that she's driving out for softball in like what november like i was like <laughs> doesn't offer to like help or anyway i know he doesn't know about the monster but I, yeah steve you're still a dick steve still a dick steve yeah so we get a really quick scene just of Lonnie and Joyce where we see that Joyce, um, you know, like calling him out on the fact that he's just there for the money and not because he cared about Will. And it just gets really awful really quickly. Um, he first he tries to say he's there to help and that the money is going to help everybody and Jonathan can go to school. And then Joyce calls that out by saying, well, where, where does he want to attend college? Like, if you know so much about him, where is it going to, you know, where does he want to go? And he does think that doesn't matter. Um, and then she tries to get him to leave to do. And then he goes really low and he says, look what happened, insinuating that like, will going missing is her fault. And um, Joyce just really finds her like, you know, say that same inner, like strength that she's had that she doesn't care that anyone thinks she's not she's gonna keep the lights up and she if there's still a chance that will is out there so she yeah she has had enough of his shit you know pre lonnie arriving joyce um which is really great yep yeah and like what a yeah though even the way it devolves you know like you just see right through him there too. Like you don't know where your kids want to go to school. You never liked Will. You forced him to try and go to baseball games. He had no interest in. You didn't even think he was missing. Like yeah, yeah you were a terrible father. Hundred um, percent. Which we get a little more of a taste of in this next scene when Jonathan. So he is shooting at cans for target practice. Uh, he does not hit any. <laughs> um, <laughs> I believe he says he was aiming between. The yes, cans, yes, he was. So. In that case, he made every <laughs> shot. Um, so Nancy shows up and uh, he's he's you know sort of showing her how to shoot and they are um, talking about themselves, sort of like m- more insight into um, Nancy and Jonathan in this one scene than we've kind of gotten in the show thus far, um, which is where like Jonathan is talking about um, the first time that he shot a gun and it was his 10th birthday that he uh, was hunting with Lonnie and Lonnie made him shoot a rabbit and then he cried for a week. I know, awful. And, um, you know, like Nancy makes this like, oh God type, you know, sound or whatever. And he was like, I know, right. You know, what a baby or something like that. And she's like, no, I'm talking about your dad. Um, so definitely like a connection there. And then he's saying that his parents must have loved each other at some point, but it was before his time. Like he's never known it. And that prompts Nancy to talk about her own parents and that she doesn't think that they ever loved each other, that her dad was, you know, older and her mom was young. He had a nice job and came from a good family. So they bought a house at the end of a cul-de-sac and started their nuclear family and both kind of agree, like, you know, not for me. Yeah. Uh, definitely an interesting scene on the insights. And I, 
I totally think it calls out that fact that even though we keep seeing the differences between, you know, Joyce's family and Karen's family, that there's a lot underlying there in Karen's mm-hmm. family. Like, that even though Nancy looks like she comes from this perfect home, she's still affected by the fact that she doesn't think her parents love each other either. Um, yeah. And so she's not, like, surrounded by what... You would think she's surrounded by an exemplary, you know of what a, of a relationship should be, but it's not. She's like, I'm just with two people who are together for convenience and superficial reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And then Nancy, uh, Nancy takes a shot and hits the can first try. Way to be a badass. That's right. Everybody looks so surprised. (laughs) Uh, so we moved to Hopper calling a woman that certainly sounds like his ex-wife because he wants to hear her voice. I really feel like he, Mm -hmm. um, recognizes that his next step forward steps forward are getting very scary and threatening for him like i you know and so he's calling her um and he says he doesn't regret anything the seven years and then there's a super heartbreaking um baby crying in the background and she consoling the baby um and she's asking if he's been drinking and he says no and he hasn't and then like to make her feel better he says actually yeah i have um, and then he just like yeah. hangs up. He says, um, "Say hi to Bill like, for me." Just, oh, yeah, heartbreaking. So I know, so heartbreaking, and and just like even the way he like self sacrifices, you know, himself. And he says, "Take care of yourself too, right?" So, um, I'm sure he wants to keep her out of whatever he's like embroiling himself in at the moment, but couldn't help but like call to hear her voice yeah definitely a guy with a lot of demons in yeah his past. absolutely and then you know he hangs up and presumably it's you know it's her, his ex-wife calling him back and he rips the phone out of the wall yeah so yeah just a really heartbreaking scene for hopper um okay so the boys in 11 they are following the compass to find the gate walking through the woods uh lucas thinks 11 is acting weirder than normal and to be fair she is she's like she's like panicking right she's really quiet and she's wide-eyed and just you know like not herself um so she has a flashback to the lab so she's being shown a picture by dr brenner of a man that he wants her to listen in on like she did um, previously with the man in the other room and she asks the bath and he says yes if it's okay and she agrees and this actually made the fact that he was like if that's okay with you it's making me think like I wonder if as her, as her powers get stronger, you know, like this, this <laughs> you don't piss her off. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it really kind of underlines the the like necessity of him having created this papa relationship with her. Right. Because I mean, if his intention all along was to essentially figure out how to give her superpowers, then I mean, it's probably in his best interest that she, you know, has this fatherly type connection with him. So, um, so she agrees to, to go to the bath and then she's put in something that's like similar to like a sensory deprivation chamber. You know, she's in this like metal tube filled with water. She's fully immersed and has, you know, her head in a like helmet to breathe. And then, um, you know, she can see Dr. Brenner out the window, but then the window is closed. So she's like in a dark uh, metal chamber filled with water. Um, And then flashback to present day where Eleven begs Mike to turn back and says it's because she's tired, but it's obviously not. She's just terrified. Um, Do you think Eleven will like kill dr brenner before the end of this mm, that season? is an excellent question 
And I'm inclined to think yes. Like I wonder, like just what you said, you're like the father daughter relationship. And certainly she's hurt other people, but she's never, you know, she could have turned on him at those <gasps> points, but you're right. It's like a, you so know, it's like that her final, like what might happen. Oh my God. I bet that it might come down to, for her to choose between like Dr. Brenner and Mike, you know? So right. like, it's like, it's like this, this relationship that she's, she thought was love or like the relationship that was all that she knew and she thought, yeah. you know, and then, but that is sort of like pitted up against, you know, what true friendship is and, you know what I mean? Like, I and think. real family and yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think that you have really hit on something. She probably, I've, now that you've mentioned it, I do think that she would probably kill Dr. Brenner. She's killed plenty before, but I don't think that she well, would. Well, it be interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that it would be easy for her. I think that something would have to precipitate it in a very immediate way. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I agree. Yeah, like a threat to somebody else that she's grown really close to. I think that's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll come back to that scene. But in the meantime, um, we go from Nancy and Jonathan, you know, working quite well together to the whole thing really kind of falling apart. Um, so she goes back and probes. She asked this in the last episode, too, about uh, what Jonathan had been thinking when he took the picture of her at Steve's place, which... You know, he was saying that he could see what people are saying in their pictures. Um, and he says that he, you know, kind of saw someone who was trying to pretend to be someone else, but in that moment was able to be the real her because she thought no one was watching. And she just really is offended by yeah. that and gets incredibly defensive. Um, so, yeah, she's like, you know, just because you don't like Steve and then she defends Steve in a way that I she doesn't obviously believe either. Like... Um, and she says that he's the pretentious creep that everyone thinks he is. Um, and Jonathan has a real rebuttal to this and that. Oh, he cuts yeah. deep. Yeah. So, you know, he's more than, she's more than, um, some suburban girl rebelling just exactly like all the others rather than being any kind of unique. And that she's just going to end up like her parents with the like nuclear family and the, you know, non loving marriage. And, um, you know, I think they yeah, I think it's a really true scene, you know, like I think she wants to know the truth, but as soon as she hears what he really thinks, she's just super defensive immediately. Like she's not really ready to hear it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, defending Steve for his actions, like when he broke his camera, like, no, those are not really defendable um, actions, but. I think it's just a a very emotional scene. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think that she's pissed because he hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. And honestly, I kind of think that like when, when he cuts her up with this like suburban girl tirade that, you know, he kind of hit it again. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah. Like, you know, way to be observant, Jonathan. That's right. And I think too, it's got to like, cut extra deep because it's a lot of echoes of what Barb was saying, especially the stuff of like, this isn't you. Yeah. Um, and you know, if she had listened to that more, would Barb not be missing? Yeah. Right. Like it's only cause Barb sat outside being a really good friend waiting for her, um, that we're even in this scenario. So I'm sure it's like a double whammy of like, she recognizes it was a really poor decision mm-hmm. for so many reasons. Now Barb is missing and then he was able to see it. And yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, so at Joyce's place, there's a banging on the door and she thinks it's Lonnie coming back, but it's actually Hopper. When she finally opens the door, Hopper is standing there with a sign that says, don't say anything. Um, and then he takes one look at the Christmas lights and he's like, oh, God. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yeah. So there's a there's a quick cutaway that we'll come back to. But then um, Hopper has checked every last Christmas light for bugs. Uh, he doesn't find anything at Joyce's, does he? No, but no. I I was like, there's so many more places. Like, look how much he... Like, I know. they could hide it in a couch cushion or something. Like, like we know that Joyce's, like, Joyce's pay- place is being um, bugged in some way through the phone at the very least. I mean... That's right. The phone line, at least. I don't know if there is an actual listening device in the house. But yeah. given that they now know that Will came from there and they have made a stuffed doll body of Will, I mean, I think that it's very likely that, that um, Joyce's house is bugged. So... Or at least we'll stand outside and have this conversation. Like, yeah. I, or like, what's the thing? I mean, like, you know, turn the shower on and yeah. the music loud. And have you people never seen a spy movie before. Come on. Obviously what you do when you have a bug in your house. Exactly. Music up super loud. Absolutely. Um, so uh, he he finally tells Joyce that he went to the morgue, that he found Will's body, that it was a fake, and that she has been right the whole time. And um, Joyce, I feel, is just like so relieved yeah it is a really i think it's a relief for everybody to like just her i love how winona Ryder acted this scene too mm-hmm. um like he says you were right this whole time you were right you know like he really emphasizes it and for her to hear someone say that who isn't even like related to her you know like what a, and the chief of police or the sheriff or whatever like yeah that is so justifying i was just like yes 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 of course, now he's, like, descending into, like, everybody not believing him anymore, but that's another part of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so we are back with the boys who um, just before this have discovered that they're going in a loop. They've been going in this in uh, circles rather than into one destination, and Lucas really calls out L that she's trying to sabotage the mission, and the, he points out the fact that she's got you know, blood on her sleeve, her nose nose has been bleeding, which obviously shows that she's been using her powers. Um, and it basically comes out that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start fighting, and, he, well, he attacks Mike, who's defending Elle, um, and Elle eventually can't handle it. She screams, and Lucas flies quite a ways through the air, slamming into, like, a big piece of metal thing. Um, yeah, like, that wasn't nothing. That wasn't, no. you know, like... I mean, that it wasn't a matter of, you know, um, Lucas flew across the, you know, the, I don't know what they were in, like the junkyard. And then, you know, like, he's like, oh, no, <laughs> that hurt. Yeah. And then gets up and shakes it off. Like, he That's was right. out. He's like, knocked out. Yeah, yeah, that it was that was a big deal. That's right. And so Mike turns and yells at her, what's wrong with you? So then we get the flashback to the rest of the bath. So um, so before, she, yeah, she was led to the bath. She was given that picture of that guy. We hear a bunch of voices kind of, um, she can hear all of these voices, I guess. And then suddenly she's not in that tube thing anymore, but she's in this like other place that's just like black and empty with water along the ground. And the man that she's looking for is standing there or something and she she's hearing him speak so he's speaking in what sounds like russian yeah it's um, like he's like a projection 
of the man. Rather so it's than like, actually him, yeah. Yeah, like the the man is like giving a speech or something or, yeah. you know, or at least he's, at the very least he's talking to somebody and he's wearing like an outdoor overcoat and he's got his hat on or whatever. So, I mean, like, so I could picture that this guy is on a street somewhere in Russia, but like what we're seeing is a projection of just him in this like black space alone with Eleven. Um, you know, he... He's not aware of the fact that he's there. It's he's still on the street having a conversation with whoever. Yeah, he definitely has no idea. She, I mean, she walks right up to him, gets really, really close, um, and she's basically like a listening device herself, and yeah. she's able to project or whatever channel what she's hearing through the lab um, speakers, so their Dr. Brenner can hear. And as she's like really caught up in what this guy is like, listening to what this guy is saying, we hear that growling, snorting. Um, Piece and that starts coming through the audio and she is very, very scared um, and running away. And so this was my question. I was like, is she still in the tank right now or? Yes. And so, yeah, they do cut back and you see her still in the tank, but she is like screaming in the tank as if she's trying to get it let out. So it's kind of different than like the other, um, you know, in like interactions with the other dimension right yeah a hundred percent i feel like um i can't remember what movie it's been i mean i think it's even been more than one for like this is gonna be so weird and random but like what's the jim carrey movie with morgan freeman where he's god Oh, uh, is that Bruce Almighty? Yes. Yeah. Okay, you remember the scene where it's like they're in this sort of like other place and it's all white and... Yeah. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's a place that's not a place. Um, yeah. You know, it's just a blank space where nothing exists. And I mean, like, I feel like this is, um, I don't know, this is the, the place that Eleven goes to when she is zeroing in on this one person that she wants to connect with. It's like she's, I don't know, bridging right. space. And um and and yeah, so like when she hears that growl, this projection or whatever of the Russian guy, it it vanishes. You know, so it's like she she like her concentration is what brought this Russian guy to this blank space. Yeah. And now, you know, that guy is gone. But she wasn't concentrating on this creature, right? Like, it came in of its own volition. Yeah, like, it almost, like, if it is, like, a purgatory in-between place, is it a place that both dimensions can access? Yeah. Like, it's, so it's not, I mean, it's, it definitely is not the, like, decrepit, decaying world with everything floating in it. It's a neutral zone. That's right. Exactly. And then the monster can get there, and she can get there, and there's nothing else in the world. But it's the first... And it seems to be the first time she's ever come across that. Like, she seems incredibly scared, right? Like, it's not The creature, you mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was thinking, you know, that it is, like, the energy that... The energy that Eleven is expelling in order to, you know, project this guy or whatever. I mean, like, is that what you know, created a, a rift in, that would allow the creature in? Or is this a space that they both have access to regardless? And then Eleven somehow, like, I'm really convinced that it's Eleven's powers that create the rift that allows yes. the portal to exist. Yeah, I agree. But no, I'm not 100% that. sure on, like, how that manifests yet. Yeah, like he's, Dr. Brenner is pushed and pushed and pushed to get to this point. And it's like, he's only trying to accomplish, you know, mission A, which is just to be able to, you know, through like, 
however this energy thing is, you know, spy on people who are very, very far away yeah. uh, while staying local, right? Which would have immense implications for, well, everything on Earth, really, right? Yeah. Um, but in doing so, he's opening, you know, it's like missions B through Z, um, which are going to happen as a result of that. And because he's so focused on like, and he does seem like a guy kind of like Hopper, who is like very focused on his singular task. And it doesn't really matter, not like Hopper, yeah, but none who he affects, right? Which is what we saw in the newspaper clippings. Like, he's obviously a not great guy. No ethics. Like, <laughs> this is not how science is supposed to be performed. Um, and he's just, like, trying to get this one thing done. Um, and in doing so, he's not really paying attention to the consequences of it. And now we're, like, all kinds of people are going missing. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really intrigued to see how how that plays out specifically. Yeah. Very cool scene though. I eh? like getting that, that extra piece of like her flashbacks. Her flashbacks are always incredibly layered Revealing. in terms of exactly yeah. what they're. And so of yet. course, like we didn't see, I know I'm jumping ahead, but like we, like we didn't see where that comes to, you know? Yes, so, right. so like the creature is in this neutral space with her. She is running and presumably the creature is, you know, chasing her or at least, you know, like menacingly um, in there. And then, you know, like, so that is where her mind is, but her body is still in this, you know, like sensory deprivation chamber where she is banging and screaming to, to be let out. So like what happens next is, is she pulled from the chamber before the creature can catch up to her? Does she use her powers in order to break herself out of the chamber and in doing so creates the portal? Well, and that's, so she's like, really great questions. Cause that's why I was like, I was like, I have my notes. Like, is she still in the tank? You know? And because everybody else who's interacted with the actual other dimension is gone. They're physically gone. They can't exist in both places at the same time. Mm-hmm. So now she's like, what, trapped in her mind? Yeah, like, I don't, to, like, I don't think it. she's yeah. in two places at once. I think she is in the chamber. No, I agree. But yes, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, I like, I'm... But then how do you mentally escape? Because you don't have to, you can't physically remove yourself from someplace because you're not even in it. So it's just like, how does her mind disconnect from being in that place to be safe? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, um... Maybe, maybe she's able to come in and out of that place at will. I mean, she concentrated, you know, she, she went into this neutral place, I assume, by like focusing on on these voices and concentrating and then the lack of any, you know, sensory stimulation in any other way by being in water and being in the dark and whatever, you know, but maybe she has the control to come back to her own body. I don't know. It didn't seem like in that scene, though. So... I don't know, like, maybe she needs to get out of the bath in order to get out of this, like, neutral zone. And with nobody there readily to get her out of the bath, maybe she, like, gathers up all of her strength and just busts that shit wide open. And in doing so, the creature follows her through. Yeah. Yep. Like, I don't know, I feel like that, I feel like, you know, that's going to be cool to see how that goes down. Agreed. Um... So we come back from her screaming in the tank, which we don't see the resolution of, and it's present day. Lucas does wake up from being passed out, but he is not happy. No, he is not. No. Um, so he doesn't want to talk to anybody. Luke, um, Dustin says, you know, let him go. And by the time everybody's kind of come to, Mike realizes that Eleven is gone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so she, like she was, you know, super distraught about 
like obviously she did not mean to hurt Lucas. It it seemed like it was um an unintentional reaction. Right. Yeah. Um you know, so you know, I can only assume that she's gone because of guilt and because that, you know, she she doesn't, you know, like want to hurt anyone more so than she's gone because she does not want to continue this journey with the boys because it's taking her back to the lab where she obviously doesn't want to go. Yeah, and she can't make them realize that. And I think she's always incredibly affected by when Mike is angry with her, right? Yeah. Like, she's used to Dustin, but, it, yeah, Mike yelling at her is a big deal. And, um, yeah, I think she won't go back to that. Obviously, she's it's not worth it for to her to find Will at the expense of um, having to go back there. Right. Um, okay, so Nancy okay. and John- Nancy and Jonathan are still in the woods, uh, but it is dark now. So dark woods monster hunting. Terrible idea. Terrible idea. <laughs> like, I... Absolutely. One one person has a bat and one person has a handgun. Like, I... That they can't hit anything with. <laughs> I know. Just a poor choice. Yeah. Terrible life choice. Um, so Nancy hears something and they find a dying deer who she assumes has been hit by a car. And um, just as Jonathan is about to put it out of its misery, the deer is like violently ripped away by some unseen force. Um, so I feel like I saw a white arm here. No. Oh, did you? I didn't see. I didn't notice. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's like definitely it, the mo- I mean, it's definitely the monster. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be, like it is definitely the creature, um, but they don't know that at this point. Although That's right. you know, I would think that they would jump to that conclusion they're looking for it right now like yeah. i agree it's like you're out there intentionally trying to find something and then something rips this entire huge deer away from you and you're like what is it like <laughs> totally. what is happening like you guys they already took two people like yeah um yeah. it's the monster you've been looking for <laughs> spoiler alert um Okay, so they follow the trail of blood to see where the deer went. And so as they're sort of searching the area, they drift apart a little bit. And so Nancy sees a slimy substance in a hole in a tree trunk. And I like, okay, so she calls she calls to Jonathan to come and look, but there's no answer. Um, and there's no way he's that far away. No. I'm sorry. I have like massive skepticism for this entire scene. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, like, he's not that far away. We see, we see where he is and, and, you know, like, later in the scene or whatever. Um, But, like, okay, so this, I like, it was in this episode. It was earlier in the episode, actually, I think, like, right at the beginning when Hopper was, like, in um, the lab discovering the portal for the first time that I was like, wait a second. Like, Hopper had to go through this whole lab and all of these locked doors and men in hazmat suits to get to this portal. So how is the creature getting in and out? The creature can't be traveling through this portal and then going through right. the lab every time he wants to come out and steal somebody. And then it was like in this very episode that that is explained because this hole in a tree trunk is no ordinary hole. It is That's a right. portal. Um, and it is a terrible idea to crawl into it. Nancy, I would what? would not make this decision. What the actual fuck, Nancy? Like, <laughs> like, uh, Jonathan, no answer. I guess I'll just go okay. through this, this That's right. scary trunk hole myself. <laughs> Hope the monster doesn't get me. Nancy, come on. Um, yeah, so she crawls through and, um, she's obviously in the other dimension. So, um, 
you know, it's, it looks like very similar woods, but it's all like oozy. There's this like slimy stuff and organic matter. Um, and this like the like ashy stuff in the air and whatever. Um, and her flashlight flickers. It stops working. Um, you know, sort of consistently. And um, so she sees the creature eating the deer and slowly tries to back away. But of course, she steps on a branch and uh, the creature like is alerted to her there. So it like turns its head and it's this like super predator face again. Predator, yeah. Yeah, where it's like the mouth that opens in four directions. And um, so she screams for Jonathan and Jonathan can hear her on the other side. Um, But, you know, like, so he finds her backpack and the bat that she discarded there, but is like really looking in every direction except this tree hole. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's like, I it, it, Absolutely. it really kind of seemed a little bit like a stage play for me in this where it was like, Nancy, Nancy, looking every direction. Where could she be? Where for Arthur, Nancy? <laughs> That's right. The whole audience is like, look in the tree right beside where <laughs> Right beside you. Um, it's not that hard. So he, like, takes the knapsack and then, like, runs to stage left. <laughs> uh, and then we do see a really this really cool shot of like as he like runs off to look for nancy elsewhere the tree trunk portal closes and then it's just a tree trunk again credits that is really cool so like okay so is this is the monster creature thing able to just create a portal wherever it wants yeah excellent i do feel Otherwise, it's incredibly convenient. I mean, I mean. That he keeps, yeah. Because if it takes all of this incredible energy, energy, um, then how is it possible that he's able to create it wherever he wants? Is it maybe within a certain, like. Like mile. Yes, vicinity of like the giant portal? Yeah, maybe that's a good point. And that he's able to just kind of make these little tiny ones. That are convenient for him to kind of come in and out. Yeah, that's a good point. But he's obviously like he, if he's not making them, then like it's they're not like they're centered around like areas of high energy. They're in kind of random places, right? Um, so that seems kind of weird if they they are. But yeah, I don't know. So what do you think? I don't have an answer. Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, I don't know. I really think that, um. It has to have something to do with this giant portal. Because this is the thing, too, is that, like, I really, you know, I've said it already, I know, but, like, that the portal that's in the basement of the lab, like, this looks like a different entity than this tiny little hole in a tree trunk that's a little bit slimy. Like, this thing is like a pulsing, you know, heartbeat of a, you know, portal epicenter like this thing is huge it seems to be getting bigger like did you yeah i thought that too but i do think they're like they're similar like because i really found the portal in joyce's house looked a lot like it like but much on a much smaller scale right yeah but But so i mean i know that we talked about this already but i'm still not fully convinced that what joyce saw was a portal was it a portal that that just didn't have enough energy to be able to walk through I feel like it was like Will trying to get back through because the monster wasn't there, at least not until the end when he was told to run and hide because he knew it was coming. 
Um, but I think it's as close to like a link between the two or turning into a portal as it could be because you could actually see through like the translucent stuff. Yeah, I'm like, I mean, I guess like I was thinking that it was definitely like a glimpse behind the veil, but it wasn't necessarily something that could be like traveled between. Right. Well, and obviously like, and he couldn't, right? Like he was trying to get through and he couldn't for sure. So I agree absolutely on that point. But to me, it looked similar to like the kind of like skin translucent skin almost that like is over top of that like that door yeah yeah you're right for sure i mean so like i don't know if maybe it's like yeah i guess the best theory that i have at this point is that the like lab portal is like the hell mouth and then if yeah there's any buffy fans out there um and then like within this general area like things are possible because of its proximity to that right um, the other thing I was thinking that two things, one, I think the monster is not as, um, responsive or agile as I was thinking he was. Like, I really think he cannot see and relies on other senses. Yeah. Uh, because like, doesn't react to Joyce's annoying flashing <gasps> that, flashlight. That has to whatsoever. be, I mean, like that's has or to be Joyce's how Will Nancy's. has been able to hide. Agreed, because I was always like, how is this guy hiding? You're right. Like, I think if you're not moving or making noise, it's not till she makes noise. But then I also, at the same point, do not have as much home for Barb after seeing the monster yet again. Like, I just, I don't know. I am worried for Barb. Oh, I'm really hopeful that Barb's going to make it out okay. <laughs> but Me I too. I just, like, trapped in an empty swimming pool with that thing is, like, not the most ideal scenario. Yeah. Um, you know, but like versus Will, if he was able to, if he was transported into that, uh, you know, the shed in the alternate universe, then he could run out and he would have great hiding spots in his house. You know, like he, yeah. it's his house. But like Barb was in such a bad situation there. It's not good. Oh, pool. Why did it happen in the pool? I know. But yeah. Yeah, well, you... fingers, fingers crossed for Barb. But That's you're right. right. I mean, like, I feel like her chances are not quite as good as well. Barb. Mm. And then we haven't heard from Barb. And, like, Barb hasn't been able to contact anybody. No good. That is true. That is all true. Well, we will f- hopefully find out more in Stranger Things Episode 6. Yes, I can't wait. Uh, three more episodes to go. and then uh, And then we are done with Season 1. So we are almost done with season one. We once again, thank everybody for sticking around as we did this recap. And we will be back again with uh, episode six recap quite soon. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.